Hello and welcome to Return to Regalia, an Underland Chronicles reread podcast. I'm Una. And I'm Nate. Nate, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be here. We've got a lot to cover today. We're doing chapters 7, 8, and 9 of The Prophecy of Bane, in which Gregor and Ares make up and Rip Red and Twitch Tip arrive. Oh yeah. Yeah, huge. When I was rereading this, I kept saying like, oh yeah, it's this part. Yes. Lots of good moments in these chapters. Yeah, you asked for these chapters specifically. Oh yeah, because Twitch Tip shows up. Yeah. Yeah. Big moment. <laughs> yeah, let's get right into it. Where we left off, Gregor had just hit all 15 blood balls during sword practice. Chapter 7 is Gregor drops his sword and the sight of the red liquid from the blood balls makes him feel sick. Everyone is excited that he hit the total, but he just walks away in a daze. Ares appears and says simply, I know a place. (laughs) Bats will be like, I know a place. Take you to an isolated cave. I was trying to come up with a meme too in my notes and I just like, yeah, that worked. Ares flies Gregor out of the arena and into the tunnels leading away from the city. He tells Gregor he'll want light and he grabs a torch from the tunnel wall. I like that Ares is like thinking about Gregor's comfort and being like, he's going to want a torch. Yeah, that's true. They arrive in a cave with crystal formations growing down from the ceiling. Gregor asks if Ares saw what he did, and when he confirms, Gregor insists he doesn't even know how to use a sword. Gregor notices that the cave is stocked with supplies and asks if this is Ares' hideout. Ares reveals that it also used to be Henry's, but now Ares lives here because although Gregor bonding with him saved him from banishment, he's been shunned by all of the humans and bats except Luxa, Aurora, and Vicus. And when Gregor says, but Vicus talks to you, he says, Vicus talks to everybody, which <laughs> I think is so funny. Yeah. Vicus doesn't count. He'll talk to anything. <laughs> yeah. That must be so rough also living in the cave that he used to like hang out with Henry in. Right. And used to be like an escape. And now it's just like his isolated home where he probably spends most of his time. You're so right that it used to just be this like fun place to get away to. And now it's the only place he can go. And it's got all of this history. Right. That he can't escape. The two Bonds apologize to each other for how they acted toward each other yesterday. And Gregor asks how Ares came to be bonded with Henry in the first place. Ares says, Henry chose me because I was wild and known to disobey many of the rules of my land. I chose Henry because I was flattered and he was royal and under his protection, I knew I could be absolved of many things. I am absolutely fascinated by this passage. Yeah, I feel like when I first read it, I focused on like bad boy, but saying I knew I would be absolved of many things is very like, wow. Yeah. He probably did he have anything specific in mind or did he just want to keep being like cool and rebellious and he was like good now I won't have to worry about it yeah I I have so many questions this is very vague he just says like I was known to disobey many of the rules and under his protection I could be absolved of many things but that could cover like anything yeah we don't even really know what the what the bat rules are right like was he just kind of a punk and disobeying like social rules he was just kind of like rude and people didn't like him very much or like was he a criminal right is it like he'll get amnesty for his bat crimes if he (laughs) (laughs) bat crimes is a single on the aries and the flyers ep yes (laughs) 
also I'm imagining when you take the bat's mugshot, it's like upside down. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's the album cover. Yes. Oh my god. Yeah, it's just it's fascinating to me that Henry chose Aries because he was cool and Aries accepted for like political reasons, basically. Yeah, like Luxa and Aurora seem to have a much closer like bond of friendship. Yeah. But it seems like Aries and Henry never had that. Yeah. And we're both fine with that. Yeah, yeah. And it just like kind of worked for them for a little bit. Tumblr user, yes, the fandom freak blur was actually <laughs> posting about how if we're extending the metaphor of bonding as a kind of marriage, there could be people out there bonding for wealth, status, or even just convenience, which I think is really interesting. Right. I think when we first hear about the bonds, you get the idea that it's like kind of like your soulmate bat who like you'll guard them with your life they guard you with their life and it's just kind of like you find the person or bat who's right for you but it's just like it's not really a mystical thing they just choose a person that they're like fine i can be with you for the rest of my life yeah it's great because we first learn about bonding from luxa and that is the case with her right like aurora is her best friend and they trust each other completely but i bet that that's actually not the case for a lot of people like the bonding almost seems to be more of just like a legal agreement in some ways. Like, yeah, it's definitely based on this soulmates kind of thing, but like you're making an agreement to protect each other with the law. I guess what I'm trying to say is like, yes, people are bonding to be in this like relationship with each other, but they're also making a bond to the state to like agree to be in this relationship. Bro, that's so true. And just like with regular marriage, you get benefits that unmarried, unbonded people don't get. So you like have to bond if you want to live in this, in the, if you want to live in the underland and like survive. Yeah. That's kind of wild. Yeah, I'm really fascinated by just like the social institution of bonding because you know, when I was a kid reading these, it really was just like, oh, Luxa is best friends with Aurora and they're going to be together forever. And like, that is super cool. But the more you think about the laws surrounding bonding and like the ceremony and all of these institutions put in place around it, it's like, it's fascinating. I think what Aries says here is supporting the idea that people could be out here bonding for status or power instead of for friendship. I'm imagining now, you know, like those sitcom jokes where it's like the husband and wife hate each other. Yeah. I'm imagining that as like a trope in regalia and comedy, but it's like the bat and the person they're bonded to like hate each other. And oh it's my like, God. you fucking tricked like mud prints in the house again on the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> man there were some other reblogs in this post i was reading by yes the fandom freak blurt where people were talking about like can you cheat on your bond oh my god because it's not a romantic thing but like in this series if your bond is not available like you can ride other bats like when aries is sick in the third book gregor is traveling with nike but like if you're a human and your bat is like alive and well and you start spending a whole lot of time with another bat, is that like looked down upon? I bet it is. I, f I feel like it must be like, cause if you're not with, if you're with another bond, who's not your bond, what ha what if something happens to your bond and you're not there to like guard their life? Yeah. Can you get divorced? Is their bond divorce? Are, are there like forbidden bond, like, I bonded to a different human, you bonded to a different bat, but then we realized that we would actually be the best bond. And now we have like a Romeo and Juliet. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm obsessed. Are there 
pond polycules? Could that happen? <laughs> well, Luxa at the end of the fifth book bonds to Rip Red and she doesn't have to divorce Aurora oh, to bond with Rip Red. Wait, I thought Aurora died. Nuh-uh. Oh, nice. Aurora's still around. Sweet. So okay. Luxa is bonded to both Aurora and Rip Red. Oh my god. So like Aurora and Rip Red, but they aren't bonded. Right. That is kind of like a bond polycule. <laughs> Most toxic bond polycule. <laughs> No, they won't get out. Oh my god, that's so funny. There are all these possibilities I had never considered. Right? That's really fun. Anyway, Gregor thinks it's typical of Henry to have chosen, quote, some bad boy rebel type bat, then wonders if he would have chosen Ares if the situation hadn't been so dire. Aurora and Luxa fly in, and Luxa is ecstatic about Gregor's impressive feat of swordsmanship in the presence of her snooty cousins. She tells him that, quote, almost no one has ever hit all 15 blood balls. She says she hasn't seen Stella Vett look so upset since the time Henry tricked her into eating moth cocoons by telling her they were only allowed to be eaten by royalty. Ares says Henry could trick her into anything and then stops laughing and says he could trick all of us. And they all go quiet. Oof. Once again, Henry haunting the narrative like a champ. Yeah. That's so funny that that memory, what was once a happy memory now becomes like, oh. Yeah. It was in front of us the whole time. Yeah. Same with the cave. Like they have all of this leftover like memories of Henry that are like tainted now. Yeah. Aurora tells Ares that Gregor being able to hit the total will bring him some good cred, but Ares seems doubtful. Suddenly they hear a horn blowing in the distance and they have to mount up and hurry back to Regalia because it means that rats have entered the city. Oh yeah, watch out. Also just side note, I love Luke. So just like being like a kid here, being like, yes, you, sh you showed my jerk cousin and just like right? being happy and kind of petty and vindictive and not like worried about everything is good. Yes, I love this part. I was talking with John last episode about how satisfying it is, like especially reading it as a kid to be introduced to Luxa's cousins, or Stella Vett mainly, who's like this bully, and then immediately Gregor shows her up. It's, it's excellent. It's so vindictive. <laughs> it's great. All right, on to chapter eight. Let's go. Gregor immediately thinks of Boots' safety and tells Ares to hurry, but he makes sure to say please this time. Yeah, I noticed that. I appreciate that. <laughs> While Luxa and Aurora go directly to Boots, Ares and Gregor go to the door of the arena. There, two rats are fighting against a group of humans on bats. And it's Rip Red and Twitch Kid. Yes. Truly the most dynamic duo. Yeah. Even though we don't see them together after this, ever. I did not even think of that. Yeah, because he just sends Twitch Tip with them. Yeah, yeah, but they're, they're quite the pair. So they're fighting, and Twitch Tip can leap very high, but Rip Red is doing most of the fighting, spinning in a circle and not getting hurt at all. Gregor and Ares realize it's Rip Red and dive down to break up the fight. Rip Red starts to laugh at the soldiers, and Gregor asks someone to get Vicus or Solovet, but none of the human soldiers respond. Gregor tries to apologize and introduce himself to the smaller rat, but she just hisses at him, which makes Rip Red laugh more. <laughs> Rip Red calls her Twitch Tip and says she hates everybody, and she just tears a hole in the moss on the wall and stuffs her nose in it. The narration just says, Okay, well, she was weird, <laughs> which is hilarious. It's like on its own line by itself. It's 
Solovet appears on her bat and dismisses the soldiers. She complains to Ripred about the people he wounded, and he insists he only scratched them. Apparently, Ripred was supposed to meet an escort guard tomorrow, but he came a day early, citing the fact that Twitchtip was eager to see Regalia. Which is clearly not true. Yeah. I, I was seriously, I was trying to think, like, why does he show up early? Because it just, he just makes it sound like he's fucking with everybody. Yeah. But I feel like he must have had a reason. He always has a reason for doing stuff. And my mm-hmm. best guess is that he, like, wanted to catch them off guard, one, to see how good they were at fighting, and two, to show Twitch Tip, like, what she was getting into. Like, he didn't want her to see the humans being on their best behavior. He's like, this is what they think of us. This is what you're going to have to risk. That's good. Yeah, I would buy that. Because I also really don't know why he showed up early. It could be that, like, he heard Gregor was in town and was like, we need to go see him immediately. Oh, true. Oh, that's funny. But he doesn't want to let Gregor know he was excited to see him. (laughs) (laughs) But I imagine that they were probably already on their way from the Deadland if they were planning to meet near Regalia. They say that they're going to meet at Queen's Head, which is like this rock formation that we learn about in the fourth book, I think. And it's kind of nearby. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that. Maybe it's just safer, like, if they're already there, why wait outside Regalia where, like, other rats could find them? That's true, too. I think it was probably Rip Red just trying to, like, fuck with people <laughs> and try and catch them off guard, because he, he likes doing that. Yeah. Solovet asks why Twitch Tip is here, and Rip Red says he brought her as a gift for Gregor. He explains he made a deal with Twitch Tip that if she helps on the quest to find the Bane, she can join his rebel rat pack in the Deadland because she was driven out of the rat's land. Ripred asks Twitch Tip to demonstrate how she is, quote, gifted, and after sniffing the air, she's able to tell them where Boots is located in the palace, who she's with, what she's eaten, and the color of her shirt. This is impressive because they're at the arena right now, and the palace is all the way on the other side of the city, I'm pretty sure. So that means that Twitch Tip can smell literally everyone in the city yeah no wonder she's got her her snout in the moss yeah that that would be completely overwhelming i also always wondered like how can she smell color (laughs) yeah it's like it reminded me of like daredevil comics where he's like i think he can do that too he'll like feel it and like yes red feels different than yellow or like he's reading a book by feeling the page but it's not braille he can just feel the ink i'm like (laughs) that can't work (laughs) oh my god There's a blind character in Maximum Ride who Mm -hmm. at one point gets a superpower because those characters develop random superpowers whenever they want to and immediately forget about them. Good old Maximum Ride. But there's a blind character who can like put his hand on something and like sense the color of it. But they don't like use that for anything. <laughs> but I always thought he could he could like read books that way if he could touch the ink and like wait. Yeah, that makes sense. See the colors. Yeah, Iggy from Maximum Ride. Nice. Yeah, I think that because she can't be like smelling the way that the light is hitting something. Like that's what color is. Is like how light bounces off of something. Yeah. So Twitch Tip can't be smelling that. So I'm wondering if she's smelling, like, the dye in the clothes? Ooh, that would make sense. Like, she recognizes which dyes are which colors? That's my only theory. Yeah, I guess, like, I was thinking, like, you can use so much stuff for dye, but in the underline, they have fewer, like, 
fewer kinds of like different colored dye. So if yeah. it's red, you know it's red. Yeah. That's cool. Maybe it was just an educated guess. Yeah. Maybe she's like doing a psych thing and just gonna say that's the fun that's the funniest thing i can imagine yeah she's actually like well she's a little toddler girl she's probably wearing pink i'm just gonna throw that in to impress them or maybe she's like maybe they don't know what color her shirt is and i could just say whatever i want oh my god <laughs> yeah that would be hilarious she's actually cold reading them the whole time yes holy oh my god anyway Solovet calls Twitchtip a scent seer, and Ripred confirms that she is, explaining that she has an unnaturally heightened sense of smell. Solovet is impressed and asks them to stay and dine with them. Ripred says, Have them make the thing with the shrimp, won't you? And no skimping on the cream. I think the recurring shrimp and cream sauce references are maybe the closest thing that this book series has to a meme. <laughs> like, this is... Like in how Six of Crows, the characters are always talking about eating waffles. Mm -hmm. Like that's like shrimp and cream sauce for the Underland Chronicles. <laughs> it's mentioned in like every book after this. Yeah, I like how it gets brought up casually here. Like the thing with the shrimp, like he doesn't know exactly what it's called. <laughs> yeah, it's just like they keep nodding toward it. And it's like totally inconsequential. It doesn't have anything to do with anything. But in every book, someone says it and us the readers are like oh haha ha, we get it <laughs> ripred loves shrimp <laughs> ripred tells solovet to give twitch tip food but handle it as little as possible because the smell of humans bothers her so much solovet greets gregor and comments on him hitting the total in sword practice earlier ripred tests him by trying to smack him with his tail and gregor grabs it in the air before it can hit him ripred says well, you can't teach that. <laughs> and I think this is him suspecting that Gregor is a rager for the first time. Ooh, yeah, because we haven't even brought that up yet. They're just like, that's cool. Yeah. Also, I love that like his plan is like, well, either he can stop this or he's going to get hit in the face with my tail. <laughs> <laughs> either way, I win. No. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think this is like Rip Red hears about Gregor hitting all of the blood balls and is like, well, that's extraordinary. And then he's like, well, let me just test him real quick, test his reflexes, and when Gregor gets it, he's like, well, that's interesting. He just, like, files that information away <laughs> for later. He doesn't say anything else. Right. He, he's not like, hey, Solovet, you might have a rager on your hands. Or he doesn't, like, explain what that is to Gregor. He's just like, I'm gonna keep that in my back pocket for later. Twitch Tip is taken to a cave outside the city where she won't have to smell the humans, and Rip Red goes with Solovet through a secret passage to the palace. Ares and Gregor fly to the high hall, and Gregor takes a bath to get the blood ball liquid off of him, but it leaves a stain. I think this is very symbolic. Yeah. The idea that him learning how to use a sword is changing him indelibly. And that he doesn't like it. Like, I feel like it's the classic, like, oh, whoa, you turn out to be super good at the one thing you need to be super good at thing that, like, happens in, like, YA fantasy. But it's not, he's not like, oh, hell yeah, I'm super good at the sword. He's like, the sword is my curse. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of, like, scared of the power of it. And he's thinking, I hope that the stain washes off before I go back to school. Right. Uh, he's just like, I just, I want to have a normal life. I don't want, I don't want sword powers. <laughs> While Gregor was playing, no, wait, I can't. I'm trying to make it while he studied the blade joke, but uh -huh. he didn't study the blade. He hasn't studied the blade. <laughs> He's been playing saxophone. <laughs> I think 
think it's so funny that Gregor is just like a saxophone player. Like he just wants to go to school and play the saxophone and be with his family. And he keeps finding out that he's like the chosen one (laughs) for all these different reasons. And he's like, no, man, I don't want that. (laughs) Just wants to play saxophone. Yeah. Oh, also classic Macbeth reference when you can't wash the blood off. Oh, yeah, that is very Shakespearean. Yeah, because that's like a symbol of guilt in the play. Right. So this is almost like a, I don't know, it's like the promise of future guilt. Yeah. Because it's fake blood that he got in training, but like it's referencing the future blood that will be on his hands. Yes. That's good. That's some good English major shit. (laughs) Yeah. Gregor heads to the nursery and finds Boots with Dulcet the nanny and Temp, who has been forced to play dress up with the toddlers. They go to dinner, and it ends up being a very sad reunion for those who survived the Prophecy of Grey trip. Boots realizes for the first time that Tick isn't here, and she starts asking where she is. The narration explains how Gregor didn't have the heart to tell her that Tick died. This is a thing that comes up several times, this idea that Gregor doesn't know how to explain to Boots about people dying. Because it happens, like, people die in every book until... And then eventually she gets it without him having to explain. I think that's a moment, right? I think that when Talia dies in the fourth book, okay, Gregor gives up on trying to lie to her about it. He's like, I can't do that for Talia, so I need to just tell Boots the truth. And like Hazard is like super sad at that point too. And Boots is like, why is he sad? That scene is super powerful. That's a scene that makes Marks of Secret my favorite book Mm -hmm. in the whole series. There are so many good scenes in that book. I'll save it. (laughs) (laughs) Ares gets up from the table and flies away without a word. And Temp hides under the table. Ripred judges Vicus's choice of dinner guests. And Vicus says he thought it would be good for them all. Luxa kicks back her chair and she and Aurora leave. Ripred isn't upset at all because he's got his whole face stuck in a dish of shrimp and cream sauce. After he cleans off his muzzle, Ripred comments on how little food the Nars have now that the humans have cut off their fishing grounds. Solovet says, Perhaps a little hunger will help them reflect on their poor judgment in attacking us. And the thing is, she says this while serving herself more food. Oh, that's that's messed up. So sinister. Just the idea of punishing an entire species for King Gorger declaring war. You know, like there are plenty of rats that didn't ask for that. Right. And he didn't even do anything because he immediately died. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But it's just like Solovet is just being like, well, the rats can sit in the corner and think about what they've done. And it's like, there are like children. There are innocent rats. Right. And she just doesn't give a shit about any of that. She's like, they're going to learn their lesson by starving, which is absolutely brutal and sinister. And I like that Vicus, on the other hand, the optimist, he's like, well, surely it's not that bad. And Ripper's like, what do you think, bro? Yeah, Vicus asks if the rats are really starving. And Ripred confirms that the humans have displaced the Nars enough to affect their fishing grounds. And Ripred is kind of like, well, what do you think they're eating? Did you not think that all the way through, Vicus? And like, of course, Vicus didn't consider it. Ripred says, it's not helping the grand plan. I have enough to overcome as it is. And you reap what you sow, Solovet. Which is very, very true because Solovet does end up dead by the end of this series. Oh, man. And Ripred and Vicus are still alive. 
I also like that he mentions the grand plan here, and I wonder exactly what that means. Because I'm pretty sure, like, I assume that his plan is just, we kind of know this, like, his plan is to become the rat's leader and bring peace. But I'm wondering if by saying the grand plan, does he mean it's just his plan? Or is he saying this to Vicus and Solovet like it's our plan? He's saying this isn't helping the grand plan to Solovet. So is he saying that, like, Solovet, you're working against yourself here? Or is he just saying, like, you're working against me? Right. But I love the idea of Ripra, the schemer. Yes. And just uh, piecing together his grand plan, thinking through all the politics of, well, if the humans are starving the rats, that is not going to be good for peace in the long run. Yeah. Ripred finishes eating and stands up from the table. He tells Gregor to follow him for his first lesson. And that's how the chapter ends. Good one. Yeah, I love, I love Vicus being like, everybody will love this reunion dinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, literally everyone is here except for the dead people and Gregor's dad. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It's devastating. All right. On to chapter nine. Gregor and Ripred stand in a cave under Regalia, where they're going to have an echolocation lesson. Gregor explains what he knows about echolocation, that animals can see by making a sound and hearing the way it bounces off of things, but he doesn't think humans can do that. Ripred says that anyone can, and some blind people in the overland use it, which is true. You can actually look up videos of people using echolocation to get around. Oh, sweet. It's really impressive. That is what Daredevil does, right? Like he sees with sound. It's like, what does he call it? His radar sense. I, yeah, I guess it is sound, but he can like basically, obviously it goes beyond what anybody could do in real life. Right. But yeah, he just like, like they draw it like kind of mapped out in like lines, like on a map. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he just like hears the sound bouncing off. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. Yeah. That's how I always imagine the scenes where Gregor uses echolocation in the fifth book and it's dark. I just, like, imagine the lines of sound, like, coming out of him and bouncing back. Mm -hmm. Ripred says most Underland creatures, except the humans, use echolocation to some extent, and it would serve Gregor well to learn it, too. To prove his point, he knocks Gregor's mini flashlight out of his hand and sends them into darkness. He has Gregor make clicking sounds in the dark, but Gregor can't focus enough to tell the difference between the sounds he aims at the wall versus at Ripred. Ripred tells him he has to practice every chance he gets, including if he gets home. He says, Listen, warrior, one day you will find that it matters not if you can hit 3,000 blood balls if you cannot locate one in the dark. Which is very true. In one of the books, we get a, uh, a scene, I think it's the fourth book, we get a scene in this very cave, actually, where they practice their echolocation. Twirltongue shows up, and Gregor has to fight Twirltongue and the cronies. Gregor tells Ripred that he'll practice, and they head back to the palace to get some sleep. On the walk, Gregor wonders if Ripred would ever kill him. On the last quest, Ripred explained they had mutual need of each other, and Ripred must still need him now, but Gregor wonders if he'll become expendable if he stops being useful. Once he's back in the palace, Gregor gets lost on the way to his room, and instead finds himself at Sandwich's prophecy room. The door is open, so he goes in and asks if anyone is there. At first he thinks it's empty, but then Nerissa steps into the light. She looks terrible, even worse than when Gregor first met her back when her brother, Henry, was still alive. He tries to leave, but she asks him to stay. He asks how she is and tells her sorry about Henry, but she just says, I think it is best he is dead. 
She explains that it's better than if he'd succeeded in betraying the humans, because then everyone, including Henry, would have been killed by the rats. But she does miss him. Gregor asks her why Henry became a traitor, and Nerissa says, He was afraid. I know that. I think somehow in his mind, he felt that joining with the rats would give him the security he longed for. And YouTube user Oddity Autopsy had actually commented something along these lines on episode 10 of the podcast. They described Henry as adopting a kind of if you can't beat them, join them mentality about the rats. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is probably what Nerissa thinks was going through Henry's head too. Right. I wonder, because Nerissa is such an odd character in that like, she doesn't really fit with the existing like prophecy thing. Like we kind of, by the end of the book, we're kind of like more on the side that the prophecies are fake and we don't know anybody else who is a prophet other than Sandwich. But then there's Nerissa who like appears to be making real prophecies and is also just weird in general. Yeah. Where it's like, why does she act like this? Like what? Yeah. And I want to know, like, did she suspect at all that Henry was going to betray them? Like, I assume she would have said something if she knew 100%. Yeah. But was she surprised? Yeah, that might be why she's like so kind of like chill about it right now. She's just like, well, I think it's better that he's dead because it would have been worse otherwise. Right. She's really just accepted that, which I'm not sure is actually that healthy. I don't know. (laughs) I feel like she should be a little bit upset. um, She does admit that she misses him, though. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I love a I love a weird girl character. Mm hmm. Gregor tells Nerissa that Henry was wrong for thinking he'd find security with the rats, and Nerissa smiles spookily and asks, was he? Is she talking about him being dead? Oh my god, I mean, that's about as secure as you can get. Yeah, I think that she might be. I like that. I mean, that's that's messed up, but I like that. Yeah, because Gregor gets confused after this and is like, didn't you just say? And Nerissa just like doesn't answer him. <laughs> and I think that... She is kind of trying to say Henry didn't feel safe, but he never would have felt truly safe. And the only way that he could have felt safe is if he was dead. Right, which is so sad. And that's just the world they're living in. Yeah, but that's like an intense line from Nerissa. And she just says it with a smile like, well, he's in a better place now. (laughs) He's in hell. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. We never learn what the Underlanders think about the afterlife. I mean, they, yeah, because they like, they have their own culture that has like developed in the Underland, but they also use names from like Shakespeare and Latin. Yeah. They don't really seem to like have a god that they mention. Yeah. I don't think any of them have like biblical names. Oh, yeah. I would assume that before they left, they were like, maybe, I guess they didn't have to be like Christian if they were from Europe. Why did they leave? Do we ever, why did they leave again? I think it was because Sandwich was starting a cult. Okay. And he like gathered some people and was like, hey, I'm going to America. So it seems like Sandwich is kind of there. Yeah. God. And now he's dead. And they, they do, they pretty much treat him like God. Yeah. Like they never say that he is, but they do what he said and they live his life in his place. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Yeah. Nerissa seems to be okay with the fact that Henry is dead. So. Yeah. In the big sandwich in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nerissa asks Gregor if he's ready to face the Bane and explains that's what they call the White Rat from the prophecy. Then she explains what Bane means because Gregor doesn't really know and she says it's a very bad thing. Gregor says something about him helping the Regalians kill the White Rat and Nerissa corrects him by pointing out the line in the prophecy that talks about the warrior draining the rat's light or life. 
Gregor realizes this means they expect the Bane to die by his hand alone. And that is the end of part one, the mission. Oh, yeah. It's intense. This whole time, Gregor was like, they're going to send an army with me, right? I'm just going to like be there hanging around, but they're going to do like the dirty work. And Nerys is like, no, you literally have to do it. Good. And Vikish just like didn't mention that to him. Right. Before, right. The prophecy earlier. He's like, yeah, we're going to train you how to use a sword. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, also because Vikus in the last batch of episodes, Vikus and Solovet were arguing about sending Gregor to training. And uh-huh. Solovet was like, we need to give him a sword and train him how to use it. Because if not, he's dead. And Vikus is like, no, I, he doesn't want to fight. He refused Sandwich's sword. And I'm like, Vicus, the prophecy literally wants him to kill the rat. Like, what are you talking about? That's so true. Like, is he just hoping that Gregor will find another way? Does he just not want to, like, have to make Gregor fight even though he knows it has to happen? Yeah. Like, I feel like Vicus can be really naive yeah. and in denial at times. Especially when compared to Solovet. Like, yeah. when you compare him to the kids, especially Gregor, he's less, because Gregor's like, I'm not going to have to kill the rat. Mm-hmm. But like when you when you compare him to all the other regalians, it's like, what's up with this guy? Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. How did Vicus end up like this in a world where everyone is so brutal and practical? Or at least Luke's and Solovet are. That's so true. Yeah. Is he just like really trying hard to balance them and he's going too far the other way? Yeah. <laughs> uh, he just wasn't he wasn't meant for fighting. Yeah. He's a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining me, Nathan. Yeah, thank you for having me. Next week's episode will cover chapters 10 through 12. Don't forget to follow us on Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at Return to Regalia. If you have questions, theories, or other things that we missed, send them to us at returntoregalia at gmail.com or put them in the comments of this episode. Thank you for listening, and until next time, fly you high. Fly you high. Hey everyone, it's Una from a few days after we recorded. This episode ended up being a little shorter than most, and I had some extra time this week, so I decided I would pop in here at the end and talk about something that is very near and dear to my heart, crawler syntax. So in chapter 25 of Gregor the Overlander, Temp asks Gregor if he can hear the rats climbing up the wall near the waterfall. But Gregor misunderstands him, thinking he's asking about the rats that fell to their deaths back in the canyon, because Temp says, Hear you the rats? Hear you? I went into this a little on the podcast in episode 11, but I didn't do a great job of explaining what Temp was doing linguistically, so I thought I'd expand on it here. Before we get into that, I'll just define a few terms I'll be using. Syntax refers to the area of linguistics that deals with the structure and formation of sentences. Basically, that just means the order in which we say words. One weird syntax thing that English has is called do support, which I mentioned in the episode where we briefly talked about Temp's question. Do support is what we English speakers use when we form questions. We also use it to form negated clauses, but I won't get into that here. Do support is basically how we get from the statement, you hear the rats, to the question, do you hear the rats? The last term I'll define is infinitive. The infinitive form of a verb is the base form of the word, and in English we just put the word to in front of the verb. So these are all infinitive forms. To walk, to hear, 
to fight. Other languages do that differently, but we don't need to talk about that. Modern English speakers will automatically use do support when forming questions, but a long time ago, English didn't use do support. You'll see this with other Underland speakers. I think Vicus is probably the most obvious about it. Instead of saying things like, do you hear him? He'll say, hear you him? And if you wanted to put that in the past tense, a modern English speaker would say, did you hear him? Well, Vicus might say, heard you him. So Vicus would use the past tense of the verb to hear, which is heard, but we would still use the word hear, or the infinitive form, because the word do or did is carrying the tense of that phrase. And tense in syntax is a whole other issue that we don't need to get into, but basically certain things that we say and the order in which we say them and what words we use will indicate if something is happening in the present or the past or the future or the far past or the far future, depending on the language. There's a lot of different tenses. Anyway, when modern English speakers use do support, we put the tense of the sentence onto the word do. So when we ask about something that happened in the past, we use the word did. But we don't say, do you heard the rats? Or did you heard the rats? To mean, did you hear the rats in the past? This is all to explain why I think Gregor was confused by Temp's question about hearing the rats. Temp asks, hear you the rats? And because Gregor is a modern English speaker who would normally put the tense of that question on the word do or did, he doesn't know how to interpret the question without the do support. So I'm assuming that when Temp asked, hear you the rats, Gregor isn't interpreting the word hear in Temp's question to be present tense. Gregor is thinking that hear is the infinitive form and Temp is just leaving off the word did, but Temp is using the word here as in the present. And I'm pretty sure that if Temp had been asking about the rats back in the canyon, he would have asked, heard you the rats, and used that past tense, heard. But I understand how Gregor could get confused, especially with that wild experience back in the canyon still on his mind. Anyway, it's not super important, but that is just an interesting little linguistics thing that I thought I would expand on here at the end of this episode, because we had a little extra time. In the future, I do want to take a closer look at linguistics in the Underland, especially the crawlers and the Underland humans. The Regalians are interesting because they come from a world where do support was just coming into fashion. Like, you can look at Shakespeare plays, and some of the plays use do support and some of them don't, and that kind of illustrates how do support was coming into the language around that time, which is also when the Underlanders would have descended into the Underland. But for now, I'll just leave you with that little mini linguistics lesson. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and fly you high. <laughs>